Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Build-Up on the Sharks Audio Network as we get you ready for today's game against the Islanders. Let's start off by looking big picture. The San Jose Sharks are currently sitting in fourth in the Pacific, 12-9-1, riding a two-game win streak and looking for a third straight win to ensure a winning five-game road trip. They are four points back of third place Anaheim in the Pacific, but they have two games in hand. Six points in front of the Sharks are second place Calgary with 31 points, and in first place in the Pacific is Edmonton, seven points in front of the Sharks. Now, the Sharks do occupy the top wild card spot in the West if you want to start playing that game, which I kind of do, but let's take a look at news from around the league before we talk to Chris King, the radio play-by-play voice of the Islanders. Tyler Bertuzzi has entered the league's COVID protocol. He is not vaccinated. He will be in the protocol for 10 days. He would not be eligible to play for the Red Wings again until December 14th against the Islanders. Bertuzzi also had to miss three games earlier this year because of Canada's vaccine mandate. The Wings lost all three of those games. Uh, He is third on the Red Wings with 18 points. Detroit defenseman Danny DeKaiser is also in the protocol. An update from a sad story over the summer when the Blue Jackets' Matisse Kalinix was killed by a firework. There will be no criminal charges fired and the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office has ruled the death accidental and the case is ruled as closed overall. Kalinix died of chest trauma from a fireworks mortar that tilted after launch and headed towards where he and others were in a hot tub. He had signed with the Jackets in 2017 and played eight games for the club overall. And as always, after a story like that, we make an awkward transition to look ahead to tonight's game. We are now joined by the radio play-by-play voice of the Islanders, Chris King. Chris, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm great, Ted. How are you? I'm doing very well, man. I am excited for a number of reasons. A, I always get excited on game day, and B, there was the uh, threat of this game not happening, but things are back in place. Uh, the team is out of the uh, the COVID protocol, and we're having games again for the Islanders, which, uh, concerning we saw the Sharks able to avoid it, the Senators had to go through postponements. Obviously, the Islanders had to have two games uh, postponed. Uh, it's good that uh, the team is back to hockey. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, it was tough, certainly, uh, you know, what they've had to go through. And, uh, you know, playing games at one point with 10 you know, total players not available to them. They had three out injured and seven on the COVID list at one point. So, um, you know, uh, I think the league finally did the right thing. I think, you know, it could have happened sooner, certainly, to avoid them having to go through some of those games without 10 players. But the fact that, you know, it was just two games that they have to make up, one at the Garden and one in Philly, which are local games as far as the Islanders are concerned, and then to get back on track, uh, you know, here tonight – you know, looking to snap what's become, you know, a long overall losing streak at eight games now, and they haven't won in their new building now in four tries. But again, all of those games played, you know, down almost half their team. Yeah, and, you know, I just wanted to get it from your perspective because I got to see it with the the Sharks with the COVID outbreak. It was suddenly, you know, it was a Saturday afternoon. Suddenly we're hearing that, 
guys are testing positive, then the game might not happen. And then all, you know, then all guys are called up from the Barracuda played the night before. And then the coach tests positive and guys on the train staff. And it was really, it really was a whirlwind. Um, you know, just curious how it was with your perspective of the outbreak with the Islanders. Same thing. It started very small. You know, one player towards the end of this, uh, you know, 13-game road trip. The Islanders were on the, the longest road trip to begin a season in NHL history because they had to get their new building finished. And, uh, you know, that final game of the road trip, they had one player test positive. Then a couple more days and another one went. And then, boom, right before the home opener, they got hit hard. And they were suddenly up to, you know, seven players on that COVID protocol list combined with, you know, two players out injured who were their best forward and their best defenseman, and you're looking at nine guys, and at one point it got up to ten, you know, during, during the homestand. So, um, yeah, it, it's very similar in that it started slow, but then it just steamrolled, and, and, you know, the NHL finally stepped in when they had their eighth player uh, join the COVID list and then three staff members as well. So uh, kind of similar to, you know, where Ottawa was at their number, I believe, was ten players and uh, – uh, assistant coach Jack Capuano, the former Islander head coach, before they finally got shut down for three games. So um, it, it started small, but as you know, we all know about COVID, it, it can turn big in a hurry. You know, we watched what the Islanders have been able to do in, in recent memory over the past couple of seasons. And this is a team that I thought was going to have another very highly successful season this year. I've been surprised by the slow start. Um, you know, how much of that... Do you put on the road trip to start the season? Because the Sharks had to do something similar last year, and they even had their training camp in Arizona, and we knew how difficult that was. Um, versus maybe some of the players that have gone down injured and some of the players, you know, you lose a player in the expansion draft and some other moves that were made. I mean, I have to imagine this is not what you were expecting, right? No, absolutely not, Ted. And again, you know, especially coming off back-to-back trips to the Final Four, essentially, uh, uh, in the National Hockey League the last two years. Uh, you know, they got within a game of the Stanley Cup final a year ago. They lost game seven, one nothing in Tampa with a chance to go to the Cup final. Um, so, yeah, this is a shock to everybody. And, uh, you know, the road trip, a lot of people can point to it, but you know what? They came home a game under 500 on the 13-game road trip. Mm-hmm. So you expect to, to go 500. They went 5-6-2 and two, and were in pretty good shape, you know, right around where they thought they'd be, I think, coming home. But then suddenly the COVID thing hits and, you know, it just was the worst timing possible when fans have waited decades, literally, for a new building yeah. that they could call their own. And then you don't even have, you know, you have almost more Bridgeport Islanders up than New York <laughs> Islanders playing in the game that night. So um, that's how it went. But, you know, it's a combination of, I think, you know, the, you can point to the road trip, but look, that's almost 500. That's a wash. Certainly the COVID hit, the injuries hit, and they have a lot of players who are just not producing right now, veteran players that they're counting on for scoring, and they just haven't scored any goals at all. I mean, just to give you an example, in this eight-game losing streak, they've scored seven total goals, total, in the eight-game losing streak. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that kind of take, takes me to my next point. I mean, what's interesting is that especially five-on-five, five, chance creation is good, but the Isles aren't finishing. I mean, that's that's what's so shocking is that you would, you look at the numbers and you think, oh, there should be a lot more goals, but clearly they are there aren't. Yeah, and, and again, uh, you look directly at, you know, Zach Parisi was brought in uh, to be basically a third-line guy. He hasn't scored a single goal. J.G. Pajot is one of their best players. He scored one goal. Kyle Palmieri, one of their better players, he scored one goal. So, you know, those three guys have combined for two goals total on the season. And then the power play is the other culprit. The power play now has fallen to dead last in the National Hockey League, just barely above 10%. 
and uh, hasn't done anything during this slide. I think my, my numbers today are one for 29 Oof. in the last 10 games. So, uh, you know, you're not scoring at five on five. You're not scoring on the man advantage. And uh, defensively, they haven't been as sharp as they've been. Obviously, you know, down a couple of their better defensemen, a yeah. uh, few of whom returned tonight. So just that, that combination of, of the perfect storm against them to have, you know, so many guys out injured, so many guys on COVID, and then so many veterans who just right now aren't producing. So, and, you know, listen, I work for the Sharks. You work for the Islanders. We both know who signs the checks. But that being said, can this get fixed and or how does it get fixed? Yeah, I think it can. And, and, you know, Barry Trott said it yesterday, Ted. He said, look, our playoffs are now. He, he realizes his playoffs are now. <laughs> you look at where they are right now, you know, they're 13 points already out of the final wild card spot. But they have six games in hand on yeah. the team they're chasing, the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he said we can't look at it as like, you know, that, that monster gulf. You've got to just look at it game by game by game. And when you've lost eight in a row... He's concerned about one thing, trying to win tonight against the San Jose Sharks, you know, to end the long slide, win for the first time in the new building where the crowd support has been incredible. You know, every game's been sold out. The fans are just dying for something to cheer, and they haven't had it. So Barry, you know, has always been very pragmatic. He's taken the approach of, hey, it's one game at a time. There's still a long way to go. We're not even a quarter of the way into the season. And he even referenced recently what the Blues did back in the year. They won the Cup of, you know, laughed in the league in January and won the Stanley Cup. So it's not out of the question. And again, they've been so good under Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello um, that you do expect them to come out of this. So part of it is getting healthy. Part of it is getting the veterans on track. And part of it's just getting a win, which, you know, they haven't had in almost a month now. Yeah. I mean, I look at still the overall talent level on this team and I feel like, okay, this is something's got to give at some point where there is more of a pendulum swing to what they're capable of because you take into account the the road trip to start the season, the COVID outbreak. Over the course of 82 games, I mean, if this were last year, 56 games, I'd be like, ah, this is a little troubling. But at the quarterway mark, roughly, at where we are right now, and not even for the Islanders because they you know had to miss some games, I mean, it this does feel like there can be that quote-unquote rectification and in a month's time, two months' time, we could be talking about a whole different story. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be an apologist, but I, I try to be a realist that eventually, over the course of 82 games, talent makes its presence felt. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what Barry Trotz is saying. Uh, you know, look, we've they've all been there. They've all done this. And if you look at the runs they've had, you know, in the last two years, as I mentioned, going to the Final Four, back-to-back seasons, they did not have great regular seasons. They weren't mm-hmm. the top seed. They, they barely snuck in both times, and yet, you know, they're kind of a team that's built for the playoffs. And if you look at, you know, the way they started the season, Ted, they were probably the least changed team in the National Hockey League. I mean, they brought in Zach Parisi. That was an attempt to fill, you know, Jordan Eberle getting lost to the Seattle Kraken. And they brought in Zdeno Chara, who's mm-hmm. a former Islander, you know, on defense to, to solidify that a little bit as they had to deal away Nick Letty in a salary cap move. So really, those are the only two changes they had from a year ago where they had that incredible run. And, and again, of the two guys, Zdeno Chara had previously been an Islander for four years. So really, Zach Parisi was the only new name in the lineup on opening night that had never played for the Islanders before. So they know as a group, you know, what they've accomplished in the playoffs, but they've got to get there, obviously, before they can, you know, get to their strength, which is the way they play hockey come postseason. Two questions for you, or a two-part question. What are your perceptions of the Sharks up to this point of the year? And then the second part would be, what do you expect to see tonight in this game? Well, I look at, you know, Ted, what they've done recently, and certainly that's very impressive. Uh, You know, winners of two straight and four of five. I watched the entire Devil game, 
And, you know, I, I saw the final score originally of 5-2, and I said, okay, this will be a decent game. And then I watched the game itself, and they're up 4 nothing. you know, just past the midpoint of the contest. And I'm like, wow. So, um, you know, I'm very impressed. Uh, I like what they're doing. I like the balance that they have. Um, you know, certainly getting Aiden Hill in goal tonight, which is what we expect will be a little bit of a better break for the Islanders, I think, than James Reimer and the run he's been on, obviously, starting as many in a row as he has. But uh, obviously impressed with, with what they've been able to do, the balance kind of up and down the lineup. Obviously, you know what you're getting on defense with, with Burns and Carlson and the rest of the crew. So uh, just impressed, just impressed with, uh, with where they are now, and in particular the way they're playing of late on this five-game road trip now where they've won the first two and, you know, have an opportunity to, you know, in back-to-back nights really make it uh, really make it an excellent trip. And, you know, this is it. This is the end of their longest road trip of the year. I know they had two other five-game trips, mm-hmm. um, but they have a chance to make this, you know, the best five-game trip now with, uh, with where they sit um, coming into, you know, back-to-back games in New York now. Yeah, and then, and then just what do you expect to see between the two teams tonight? Well, again, for the Islanders, you know, how are they going to look when they haven't played a game since Friday? That yeah. was the last game. It was, uh, you know, the, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, they lost one nothing to the Penguins, and then they had, you know, all that time off, missing the two games. So it's five complete days off, but it's three complete days where they weren't allowed to even be on the ice, be in the facility, be anywhere to try to stem the COVID spread. So, um, you know, they literally have guys tonight, four of them, who haven't played a single home game all year. So this huh. is the fifth game in the building, and they're going to have four players who are experiencing that for the first time. So, you know, Barry Trotz was asked about it yesterday. He said, are you going to monitor the minutes, or what are you going to do with these guys? Because everybody obviously has different reactions to COVID. Everybody's affected in a different way. He said, look, I'm just going to see what they have. I'm going to, you know, ask them what they have and go with what I've got to go with. So I expect them to lean on the guys who haven't been hit by COVID and then try to, you know, nurse the guys back who have in the hopes that, you know, they're able to give him somewhat close to normal ice time. Chris, you're the man. I appreciate your time and have a great call tonight. And we'll talk soon. All right. All right, Ted. Thanks for having me. Always great talking hockey with you. Again, that was Chris King, the radio play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders. Now let's take a look at scores from around the NHL last night. The Rangers stayed hot and handed the Flyers their seventh straight loss by a final of 4-1. The Red Wings shootout win over the Kraken 4-3. The Canucks all over the Senators by a final of 6-2. The Maple Leafs going up against the Avalanche. 8-3 winners. Maple Leafs looking like the best team in the NHL right now and a juggernaut as they just keep on winning and winning and winning. The Oilers handed it to the Penguins 5-2, and the Ducks rally to beat the Golden Knights by a final of 6-5. Golden Knights lower in the standings right now than the San Jose Sharks, 12-10-0 on the relatively young season, but getting older with each passing day. Now, we are going to look a little bit more at the Islanders ahead of tonight's match as we bring in Andrew Gross of Newsday. Hey, Ted, great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Hope all's well. You know, the the 13-game road trip to start, the COVID outbreak, you know, 30,000-foot view, I am uh, sure that this was not what you were expecting this year after last year, right? No, not at all. I mean, uh, uh, I wrote before the season, I called it a Stanley Cup or bus season, and I didn't expect the Islanders to really you know, take ownership of that kind of Stanley Cup or bust uh, feeling, at least publicly. I know in the room what they're expecting, right? And after you go to the NHL semifinals, back-to-back seasons, you lose both times to the eventual Stanley Cup champion, Lightning. 
uh, in six games in the in the playoff bubble um, up in uh, Edmonton, and then last season, this this June, if I'm remembering correctly, <laughs> they go to Tampa for a game seven, and they lose one nothing on a shorthanded goal. Yeah. I mean, it, you don't get any closer to the Stanley Cup final, and I think everyone expected if the Islanders had managed to win that game seven. And knowing you're facing the Canadians, no disrespect to the Canadians and Carey Price, mm-hmm. but I think the Islanders would have been heavy, heavy favorites in that Stanley Cup final. So you, you go into the season really thinking that they will be able to take the next step. Um, now, uh, obviously, this has been a, a lousy, screwed up season for the Islanders, uh, all out of their control between the the arena not being ready for the start of the season, for necessitating a 13-game road trip to start. They couldn't get into their new building until November 20th. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and you get this COVID outbreak and also injuries, which are just a part of the game, but you lose Brock Nelson, who's your second-line center. And, And Brock Nelson went to the sidelines with nine goals as the team leader and the Islanders are last in the NHL. They only have 32 goals scored through 17 games, which is just abysmal. And Brock Nelson is sidelined. He's got nine of their 32 goals. Yeah. Um, so that that's a big hit. You got Ryan Pulak, your, your, you know, your top pair of defensemen uh, on the, on the sidelines. So it, it's been a really rough go for this team. And also, in retrospect, I don't think anyone gave enough weight to how much losing Nick Letty would mean for this team, especially after you had to trade Devontae's the season before. Mm-hmm. Both Tay, Lou, Lou Lamarillo trades both Tays and Nick Letty just because he was up against the salary cap ceiling. He, he had to shed salary uh, in order to, to do some of the things he had to do, signed you know, Matthew Barzell gets a three-year, $21 million deal. That can't be done if Nick Letty is still on the team. Yeah. Uh, but you move this puck, you lose this puck-moving defenseman. You lose two puck-moving defensemen uh, with, uh, you know, they can produce offensively. And you also lose Jordan Everly in the yeah. expansion draft. Everyone loses someone in the expansion draft. expansion draft. But the problem is the two guys that they've brought in uh, Zach Parisi and, and Zdeno Chara. Uh, Parisi is playing very hard, um, but he hasn't produced any points for the most part. I think he has three assists. Um, he's been around the net. He just can't pop one. Yeah. Um, and Zdeno Chara for most of the season. And I know a lot of the Islanders fan ire has fallen on Zdeno Chara, which I, I think is a bit disrespectful to a Hall of Fame career here. No, he's um, a big target. He's literally a big target. And and unfortunately, he's an older target. And at times he really has looked like a 44-year-old defenseman. He just doesn't seem to have the leg strength that he once had. Um, he's going into these corners and the bat uh battles along the walls, and he's the one who's winding up on the ice. And, and that's a really bad sign. And to me, that that speaks to his leg strength at this point. But uh, yeah, so it, it's been what started as a Stanley Cup or bust season has now really turned into a boy, they really have to scramble just to get into the playoffs at this point. So one of the stats that I've looked at that's been interesting is that chance creation hasn't been terrible, 
but the finishing is one of the worst numbers in the league right now. Is there, is that something where you're going to have a, a pendulum swing or regression to the mean or what, what are you seeing there? Yeah. I mean, like you said, and, and when you talk about Zach Parisi, for instance, Zach Parisi is where he's been throughout his whole career, which is within 10 feet of the crease. You know, he's taking angled shots and he's battling for the puck and they haven't gone in. Same deal with Kyle Palmieri. Palms has only gotten one goal, but he's playing around the crease a lot. Um, I, I, it's, you know, uh, as far as that metric is concerned, what I'm seeing is they are, or they were before the COVID-19 outbreak really hit them hard. They were creating chances. They're just, like you said, and as the metrics show, they're not good finishers right now. And maybe, you know, maybe that's where you see them missing a Jordan Everly, uh, who could who could finish around the crease. And uh, yeah, Anders Lee, I think he has four goals, but... Uh, you know, coming off the major knee surgery that he had, it was going to take him a while uh, to, to get back to that prototypical power forward. I, I think he's getting there. I, I think he's still recovering a little bit. Um, Anders Lee cleans up around the crease when, when he's going good. And that, that hasn't been the case either. And the, the, the biggest or one of the biggest issues here, well, two, two huge issues with, with the Islanders. One is that just four games into the season, because the other defensemen were not pulling on the rope, uh, to use a Barry Trotz phrase, well enough, Barry had to split up his top pair of Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak just to buttress up uh, the other defensemen, specifically Zdeno Char, as I mentioned, and also Noah Dobson got off to a, a slower start than they had hoped for. Noah's turned his game around a little bit. Um, so you break up Pelik and Pulak, and that's really what the basis of their blue line, you know, is all about, is this really one of the, if not the best top pair in the NHL, certainly in the conversation, mm -hmm. in top five, best top pairs in the NHL in Pelican Pulak and they haven't played together for the last 13 games and that's been a huge issue and then uh, the, the analogy that's being made here with the Islanders identity line the uh, the fourth line of Casey Sizikas who by the way was just re-upped in the offseason mm -hmm. for another six years um, and you got Matt Martin who's got two more years on his deal after this, and Cal Clutterbuck, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Everyone's sort of saying that this identity line has become the 1965 Yankees, where they've just all gotten old at once and all fallen off the cliff. And, and the Islanders just are not having, you know, they're called the identity line because they're always on the ice to start the game. They're always getting their team teammates into the game, heavy four checks to start with playing in the offensive zone and, and providing strong defensive play when necessary. And, and, and a lot of that has been really missing. And as a, as a result, there's a trickle down through the other three lines and, and the Islanders just have not been establishing a four check or, or sustaining enough offensive zone pressure. And I think a lot of it starts with the, the fourth line not playing at the level that that Islanders management and fans have, have 
come to be used to. How or can this be fixed also in terms of how patient media fans management are with the, the fact that things aren't up to expectations? Well, I mean, the good thing about the Islanders in New York is, and, you know, Islander fans will stomp on me for saying this, but they're not the Rangers. And what I mean by that is they, even with this new arena, they're not drawing the attention or, or the immediate attention that, you know, the Rangers do on a regular basis. And it's, it's even worse for the Devils, mm-hmm. where there's no quote-unquote traditional newspaper outlet, whatever that means today. Uh, there, there's none of that even covering the team anymore. You know, uh, you have the athletic and you have their digital media crew and some local radio stations, but they're not getting daily coverage in the, in, in the whatever is a, a newspaper these days. At least on Long Island, Newsday, thankfully, you know, and, and, and God bless them, you know, they, they still go full bore on the Islanders, which affords me to do my job the way I want to do it. And, you know, I'm very grateful for that. But it, there's not there's not the ton of media outlets. So my Mm -hmm. point is the Islanders can get away in, you know, October, November, December, uh, playing like this without having the media glare on them. Now, if they, you know, if they get to February and March, once we're done with the NFL season here, uh, there, there might be some, you know, some back pages on the, on the New York post asking what the heck's going on with this franchise. Right. Um, yeah. as, as to what can be done, uh, I, I think Lou Lamarillo is in a tough spot in that he does need to make a change. It may be, he needs to add a defenseman, uh, at least, um, it may be that Robin Sallow, uh, a second round pick in 2017, who was one of the call-ups during the COVID outbreak, gets a, uh, a regular shot with the team. And he's a, he's a puck mover that they could use. Um, he, he played four games. He had some good flashes. And then Barry Trotz basically said, you can't trust the kid defensively yet. So to play for Barry Trotz, you have to be trusted defensively. Does does Lou go out and and revisit you know whether Vladimir Tarasenko is available you know that's that's something that was certainly speculated about all through the off season and I, I certainly think that the Islanders could use you talk about a finisher that's what the Islanders need right mm-hmm. I think the balancing act for Lou Lamarillo is he knows he needs at least two pieces here um, that he tried to get in the off season and don't seem to be working. So he needs to go through that again, uh, getting an offensive and a defensive piece, but other teams know that as well. And as Lou said during the COVID outbreak, Oh, I've gotten a lot of calls from teams quote unquote, wanting to help me out, you know? So, <laughs> so, so the vultures are, are, are starting to pick or trying to pick at the carcass here. So Lou, Lou can't make any knee jerk, trades um that look good on paper um just for the sake of making a deal and and lou's not that type of guy but there is i think he's going to feel some pressure to make a deal sooner than the trade deadline because by the time the trade deadline comes around if things keep going this way the islanders are going to be long out of it what are your perceptions of the sharks uh this year you know from the east coast perspective and then also 
What are you expecting to see tonight? Um, well, I, I mean, the Sharks, I, I have a lot of respect for the way they got through their COVID-19 outbreak. You know, they, they did not, they did not let it sink their season mm -hmm. as is a potential for the Islanders. So you, you give it to, to Bob Bogner and his staff, uh, for getting through that. Um, you know, is, is Eric Carlson playing tonight? I, I know he was, I, He's I haven't seen the, the update on that at this point. Right. I mean, if he's on the ice, he can still be Eric Carlson at, a, at any given moment. So that that's always dangerous. Uh, with, with the Sharks, I always expect kind of a, a heavy game. Uh, you know, it's been a while since the two teams faced each other. Right. I, I know that. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, that's kind of the fun thing in this league is you're rediscovering other teams. So... I, I know it'll be a big game for Kevin LeBlanc uh, coming back uh, to New York. I heard yeah. there was, I heard there was some money up on the board in, in the <laughs> Sharks room. So. <laughs> no, I like it. He was saying he was getting some uh, good Italian food back in him, and I'm sure for I mean, when people come back to that part of the country, I'm sure they have so many friends that want to get out to all the games and stuff. So I mean, that's that's pretty cool in my opinion. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure he's excited to see UBS Arena. If you know, if he grew up in this area, regardless of which team he grew up rooting for, um, if you grew up in this area, you know, if you're 30 years or younger, you know, it, it's ingrained in you. And actually, you know, I shouldn't say that. If you're of any age, it's been ingrained in you that the Islanders needed a new building. You know, yeah. you're, you're going back to probably the early 1990s is probably when the first rumblings came around. But if you talk to the players in the 1980s, not much work was being done on Nassau Coliseum and it, it aged out real quickly. And the concourses were too small and and, and the patrons have been complaining about missing almost half a period because they were waiting online to use the men's or women's room. I mean, that's, that's been a thing since the 1980s. So <laughs> I, I'm sure he's excited to play at UBS Arena, you know, coming home and seeing a new arena. Uh, that, that I, I, I'm sure all the players on the team are, are excited to play in a new arena. You don't get a ton of them this is kind of a unique season in the nhl where you have two coming in at the same time yeah right and, and both built by the same uh, arena developer uh so kind of interesting there good deal man well i appreciate your time we'll talk soon all right ted great talking to you be well and i'll, I'll see you soon that's andrew gross and newsday we're out of time you've been listening to the build-up on the sharks audio network <laughs>